We're in a series we're calling Grateful. What a powerful way to finish a series called Grateful than to talk about this and to celebrate with these guys and to remind ourselves, we who have been baptized and have committed our lives to Christ and have made a public profession of it, what a great way to do it. So how many of you have Thanksgiving plans? Anybody here? God bless that hand. I see that hand. How many of you have family coming? You have, you're going to family? How many are going to eat too much? A bunch of liars in church this morning didn't raise your hand. How many of you have something to be thankful for this year? Come on. How many of you have something not to be thankful for this year? Come on. I mean, that's all of us. Come on. So that's the reality. You know, this isn't heaven. This is still earth, and there's still stuff that happens. So the question that's been kind of running through my head, in fact, added this message to the series that we originally tend to, to, uh, to finish last Sunday uh, is this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, key verse. Uh, it's on the screens. You can go to the, the Bridge North Carolina app, Bridge, Bridge NC app, and follow along. Open your Bible, your smartphone, whatever, but let's do it together. Here we go. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we just be real honest in church? Is it okay if we tell the truth in church? I get the, uh, the sing psalms, hymns, and praises. We all love to come to church on a day like this and sing these songs and clap our hands and raise our hands and celebrate. We love to sing uh, those songs. We'll do a whole teaching sometime on the difference between psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. I'll, I'll teach you that someday, but for now, just we all celebrate that. Am I right? Yeah, and we can even do the sing and make melody in your heart thing. But the always giving thanks for everything part? Okay, Jesus, we believe in you, and we'll even follow you, but is that even possible? Is that something we can even do, particularly as we reflect on some of the things that perhaps have happened in our lives since last Thanksgiving or in recent days? Is that even possible? That's what I felt compelled by the Spirit that we explore for a few minutes this morning uh, before we get into our Thanksgiving season because I do want you to be able to enter into Thanksgiving with this joyful heart. I want you to enter into Thanksgiving with songs in your heart, and I want you to be able to give thanks uh, for everything in everything. I want you to be able to give thanks to God during this season. So what I want to do is I want to give you what I consider to be the four keys to knowing how to give thanks for everything. And in the process of sharing those keys with you, I hope that you'll pick up on, I'm not going to put a lot of emphasis on it, but I hope you'll pick up on why he calls us to give thanks for everything. Okay, So the four keys to how to do it, and in the process, uh, maybe get a glimpse into why he calls us to give thanks for everything. Four keys. Ready to get into it? Do you guys like this? If you're ready, here we go. I mean, I can vamp some more if you want, but you ready to get into it? Keep it going. Number one, key number one is focus on God instead of your circumstances. If you're really going to give thanks for everything, then you've got to decide, I'm going to focus on God instead of my circumstances. And I know already that's easier said than done, right? We all know how it feels to have circumstances that we don't like, circumstances that hurt. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I got trouble. You got trouble. All God's children got trouble. Can I get an amen in the house? I love universal amens. In fact, the question that I hear a lot as a pastor, maybe you've asked it before, is if God is such a loving God, why does he let his children hurt? What, what is up with that? I mean, 
Uh, and, and the answer to the question may not be satisfying to you, but it's true. The answer is because God wants a real relationship with you. He doesn't want a robot. He wants a real relationship. And the only way you can have a real relationship is if you have the ability to choose whether you will be in that relationship or not. Is that right? Kim and I have been married almost 43 years. Uh, I could have chained her uh, to the radiator 43 years ago, and she might still be there today. No, knowing Kim, she'd have gnawed her ankle off by now. She'd be gone. But you, you get my point. I could have forced her to stay. Would we have a relationship today? No, she'd be there, but we wouldn't have a relationship. The reason we have a relationship is she's had the freedom to leave, and she stayed when I was being a jerk. Well, look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Your wife did too. <laughs> It's true, God. And so God wants a real relationship with us, which requires that we have the freedom to choose or stay. So he created the system. We talked about it a little bit last week. So he created the system where we have the freedom to choose. We just don't have the freedom of the consequences of our choices. And so choices put things into motion. Uh, causes always have uh, an uh, effect. The good news is that good choices often have good effects. Bad choices often have bad effects, and you don't have to be the one that made the choice to be victim of the effect. Am I right? Sometimes some of the junk that we deal with, we didn't have anything to do with. Somebody else made the choice, but we still got caught up in it. So where does that leave a loving God who wants a relationship with you? Where, do, where does that leave him? I mean, he has two choices. He can either take the freedom of choice away and require you to be in relationship with him, or somehow he can work the circumstances of your life into a blessing for you because he loves you. Those are his two choices. Hear me, one day God's going to call it. One day God's going to say, okay, we're done. The only reason he hasn't done it yet is there's still people that haven't committed their lives to Jesus yet, and he's being patient. He's giving us time to reach them. He wants 32 more. There was, I think, 32 or 33 people being baptized in all three of our locations this morning. He wants 33 more. He wants 33 million more to come to him. He wants 33 billion to come to him over the generations uh, before he calls it. And so until that time, he does the next best thing. God never wastes a hurt. Say it with me. God never wastes a hurt. That's, that's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you're taking notes, you may want to circle that word momentary troubles and circle that, that, those words eternal glory. Put those two things together because they are connected. So in the beginning of being thankful in hard times, you've got to understand that God wants a real relationship with us, therefore we have to have the opportunity to choose whether to join him in that relationship. And so what he does then is work all of those choices, the ones that ultimately bring harm, he works them into our eternal good even in the dark times. And you don't have to wait for heaven to get those good things, okay? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces, say with me, produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, please don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying we should be glad we have problems. I'm not talking about that pie in the sky, everything's beautiful junk. 
I don't like problems, you don't like problems, none of us like problems. But I am saying to you that when we understand the result of our problems, that God is working through our problems ultimately for our good, then we can be thankful for the fact that we serve a God who has the ability to never waste a hurt. We have the ability to understand <coughs> that every storm is a school, that every trial is a teacher, that every experience is an education and that God uses every difficulty for our development. Somehow he's going to work this to help us grow. No matter where your problems come from, God wants you to grow through it. He wants you to develop. And what does he want you to develop? What did the Bible say? He wants you to develop perseverance. He wants you to develop strength of character. And those things lead to hope. Anybody want hope? Yeah. Well, how do you get hope? Through strength of character. Well, where do you get strength of character? From perseverance. Where do you get perseverance? By focusing on God, not your circumstances, when the circumstances are not where you want them to be. That's how you do it. That's how you get there. That's how it develops. Is that true? Is that true? I mean, think about it for a minute. You ever watch two people go through the exact same situation, and one succeeds and the other fails? One learns and the other doesn't. One gets better and the other gets bitter. And the only difference is the way they dealt with the problem they faced. The only difference. You see, what I need you to understand before we move on to the second key is that uh, these choices have consequences, and sometimes they are painful ones, but God never wastes a hurt. He will somehow use that for good in your life, but you block that from happening when you focus on your circumstance instead of focusing on your God. In other words, your problem ceases to be your problem. Your problem becomes the way you're dealing with your problem because that's ultimately what stops you from the blessing that you keep crying out for, God, why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you blessing me? And God's saying, why aren't you learning? Why aren't you learning? Why aren't you learning? Because I want you to develop perseverance, strength of character, because I want to give you hope so that the next time something like this happens, did I mention this is earth, it's not heaven? That the next time you face a problem, you face it with hope because you know what happened last time when you focused on him instead of your circumstance. Does this make sense, guys? Is this resonating? Let me ask it this way. Have you ever faced the same problem over and over again? And you caught yourself reacting to it the same way you did last time? Could it be that God is caused you to fail a grade because you didn't learn what he wanted you to learn. Last time you see he gives us tests and he wants you to pass the test. But if you don't, you get to take the test again <laughs> until you pass it. The only way you break through that cycle is stop focusing on the circumstance and start focusing on God. So hear him say, please, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. But hear God say through this white-haired preacher, I don't want you to give up. I want you to grow up. Let him teach you. That starts by focusing on him rather than on the problem that you are currently facing. Ready for the second key? I didn't say this was a fun sermon. I just said it's an important one. 
The second key is ask God what instead of why. Ask God what instead of why. The number one tendency that we have when we're going through a painful circumstance is to start saying, why is this happening to me? And Satan has this amazing ability to start whispering in our ears. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, and he has this way of of whispering in our ears, junk-like, well, this is bad stuff going on, so therefore you must be a bad person. Because if you were a good person... Uh, You wouldn't be facing this. Hear me. Problems don't mean you're a bad person. They just mean you're a person. Because the Bible says that it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's true. Or or sometimes he whispers, boy, God must really be mad at you. Look, he's getting you. That's not consistent with his character, guys. That's not who God is. That's not how he works. It kills me sometimes when I hear parents use that as as a weapon to bring their children in line. Their children not acting like they want them to. And they finally say, God's going to get you if you don't change. Do you understand what you're telling your children about the character of God when you say that? Walking through a parking lot one time in a shopping center and I saw a lady with a like a three or four year old boy and she was struggling with him and he was doing what three year old boys do sometimes and she had him by the arm and as I got closer I heard I got to where I could hear her voice and she said if you don't if you don't stop that I'm gonna sick Pastor Jim on you and I went oh Jesus she's one of ours oh no (laughs) I didn't teach her nothing then I found out there was another Pastor Jim in town it wasn't me so No, she was one of ours. Hey, Pastor Jim, how you doing? Hey, how are you? You know what you just did to your kid every time he sees me from now on? And what I represent, hear me, guys. Um, I know it's, it's human to say why. I get it. Um, and, and I'm not going to tell you it's a sin to say why. Some people say, well, it's wrong to ask why. I, I, I don't know that it's wrong. It just isn't particularly productive. Because chances are you're not going to know why this side of eternity. The better question is not why, it's what. Let me me explain it this way. Did Jesus suffer when he was on earth? Somebody say yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, Was Jesus lonely at times? Yes, he was. Uh, Was Jesus ever misunderstood? Was he ever wrongly criticized? Yeah. Uh, Did God factor all of that somehow into a good for the entire world of all generations? Yeah, then why do you think it would be different for you? Maybe the more legitimate question is not why is this happening to me, but why not? If he did this through his son Jesus, then why wouldn't he do this through me? And remind yourself that he loves you. So you begin to say, okay, God, if I focus on you, instead of asking you why this is happening, I'm going to start asking questions like, what are you trying to teach me? What, what, what blessing are you trying to bring out of this circumstance? What do you want me to learn about me? What am I, this might be the Spirit talking, what am I holding on to that it's time to let go of? What are you doing in my life, Lord? Hear me, God loves you more than you can imagine. And he has this amazing plan for your life. But before you can realize that plan and realize the blessings that come from that plan, you have to grow enough to be able to handle those blessings. 
It's kind of like so many people that hit lotto having never managed money well their whole lives and suddenly they got millions in their hands. And what percentage of lotto winners go broke in no time, end up in jail, end up in bankruptcy because they didn't grow enough to be able to handle those riches before they got those riches. God says, I want you to develop. I want you to develop character. I want you to mature. I want you to be all you can be so that I can give you blessings that you can then handle. And the more you cooperate with his process, the faster you get to see those blessings realized. Because you get to pass the test and move on to the next level. So can I tell you three things right quick about God's plan for your life? I mean, I can't tell you specifics of exactly what he wants to do, but I can tell you three things about his plan for your life. It'll be meaningful to you. You may want to jot these down or, uh, uh, and capture these in your head somehow. Uh, th- thing number one about God's plan is that God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. You know what my plan for me was when I finished high school? I was going to be a rock star. I sang in a little band. We sang for the senior uh, dance that year, and we, we were going places, you know. And, and uh, the first song I ever sang in public was, In a God out of Edom. You know, the whole deal. I mean, I'm going to be a rock star. And we had some talent in our band. Our keyboard player wound up with Elvis. Our trumpet player wound up with Tops and Blue in the military. I mean, there was some real talent in that band. Uh, and that was my plan. I got these good plans. Well, the, the week we played for the senior dance was a week of revival at the church. And uh, every night, Mom said, you're going to church tonight? Uh, no, Mom, we got to rehearse. Friday night's the big gig. And so every night, she, she asked me if I'm coming to church. And every night, I said no. And sure enough, Friday night came. We did the big gig and stayed out way too late and drank way too much. And Saturday morning, she came into my room. And she said, uh, you're going to church tonight. And suddenly her tone of voice had changed. I realized it wasn't a question this time. (laughs) And I knew that if I didn't go to church, I would never get the family car again. (laughs) I said, yes, ma'am. Well, I said, in fact, I said, I got a date. She said, well, then cancel it or bring her because you're going to church tonight. Yes, ma'am. So I went to church that night, make a long story a little bit longer. I sat through that whole service. I have no clue what we sang. I don't know what the preacher said. But at the end of the service, uh, the pastor opened the, the altars, and, uh, and several people came. And, and my mom was one of them. She often came and prayed with people. She was part of the prayer team. And so I knew if I left before she did, I'd never get the family car. So I'm sitting in the back of the worship center waiting for mom to get finished in the altar. And one gentleman in the church felt prompted by the Spirit to come talk to me. And he came back and said, Jim, I think I'm supposed to invite you to the altar. And I said, nah, I think you're wrong. And uh, no thanks. And, uh, and he left. A few minutes later, I went over to sit amongst a group of teenagers who were probably in the same fix I was. They couldn't leave till their parents left too. And so we're just kind of sitting there. And I thought, well, I'm safe in the middle of this group of teenagers. And, and, uh, and then Wayne Ellis and J.T. Hammond, some of you know, uh, Pastor J.T., Pastor in Smithfield, Assembly of God, talked to some folks from our church that knew him, were members of that church when J.T. passed. J.T. looked at Wayne and said, uh, you know, I think we're supposed to go talk to Jim. Wayne said, yeah, I know, but I don't know what to say. He said, I don't know either, but let's go. And they came back to me, and I don't know what they said. I just know they sat down, and I ran to the altar and gave my life to Jesus that night. And I had no idea what his plan for me was 
But it was so much better than anything I ever dreamed. I mean, if you told me 48 years ago that I'd travel the world and, and have the privilege of doing the things that I've had the privilege of doing, much less standing here in front of you right now, I would have said, no way, you're crazy. But God's plans are always better than our plans. Ephesians 3.20, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more, much, much, say it with me, much, much more than anything we can ask or even think of. God's plan is better than yours. Second thing I need you to know about God's plan is that God's plan is harder than your plan. <laughs> Which is why some people cut out on his plan. They may say, well, it may be better, but it's harder. You know, our flesh says, I want it easy. I, I just want to kind of skate through. I want to, you know, least path of least resistance. I want to just be able to kind of take the easy road and slide through life. And, and God says, I care more about your character than I do your comfort because I want you to develop perseverance and character, which leads to hope. And so, uh, yeah, my plan is better, but sometimes it's, it's harder. Can we just be honest? If God took all of your problems away, you'd be a spoiled brat right now. And so, yes, he allows problems to come into our lives for good and for purpose so that we can develop our ability to be responsible. What was it Stephen Covey, the, the business writer, used to say? Responsible means response-able. Yeah, if you want to be able to respond appropriately, you've got to develop your responsible muscles. And sometimes that comes through difficulty. So God does allow difficult things to come, and then he uses them for good in our lives. Here's the picture. I've got to move on, but here's the picture that I want you to get in your mind, okay? Isaiah 43, 19. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. You do not perceive it. In other words, you can't see what I've got envisioned for you yet. It's still down the road, but, but, uh, but it's coming. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You know what he's talking about? He's talking to Israel. He's talking to us as, the, as the, the body of Christ, but he's talking to you, and he's saying, I want to turn the dry, desolate stuff of your life into this picturesque, beautiful thing. Is it easy to go from a desert to an oasis? No. Has change got to happen to go from a desert to an oasis? Yeah. Does that sound easy? No. But that's exactly what God is doing in your life. And if you think I'm just kind of making this up, let me just be, be clear. I mean, Black Friday's coming, right? Come on, how many are going to be in the line at 5 o'clock in the morning? Or how many is going to be online doing it this Monday? That's the, you're the smart people, okay? But anyway, uh, the most famous illustration of what I'm trying to say to you is that first Christmas. When Mary said, okay, God, we're going to cooperate with your plan. Uh, let's let go of my plan and cooperate with yours. Was that easy? No. She had to acknowledge that means I'll be an unwed mother. That means that I'll be the gossip of the town. That means uh, that I don't know how Joseph will respond to this thing. That means there's a whole assortment of things that that could potentially mean for her. It means ride a donkey for days when you're nine months pregnant. How about that one, ladies? 
It means have my baby born in a stable without my mama or a midwife or a doctor. That means, I mean, Mary had to ask a thousand times, why me, God? Why'd you pick me? Are you sure your plan is better than mine? Because this sure seems hard to me, right? And Joseph, at the same time, had to believe her story. He had to take her as his wife when all of the culture around him said, you're stupid for doing that. You know she's cheated on you. Had to have. There's no such thing as a virgin birth, they would say. Some still try to say that. It just ain't true. Yes, there is. There's been one. His name is Jesus. If this is really God, God, why didn't you just come? I mean, would you have to do this whole thing about virgin birth with a teenage fiancé of mine. And why did you have to do it that way? Couldn't you just show up, you know, riding a white horse and wearing a cowboy hat or something? Come on. I mean, why a baby? Of course, we all know now, looking back at it, we understand why. Because God wanted to come in a way that wouldn't intimidate or scare us away. He wanted to come in a way that would draw us in and nobody's scared of a baby, right? So he came in that simple form because he wanted to communicate to us and communicate love. My point simply is this. God's plan is always better than ours, even if it is harder than ours. The good news is, I told you I'd say three things about his plan. The good thing is that God's plan is always more rewarding than yours. 1 Corinthians 2.9, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's primarily a reference for heaven, but it's true for today too. When you commit to cooperate with God's plan, you get the abundant life, the rich and satisfying life we talked about during this series, which is something we're all looking for. So you can quit looking for it. Uh, You can stop searching for it. All you have to do is focus on God instead of your circumstance and ask him what he's trying to teach you instead of why am I going through this? Got it? Got it? Ready for key three? Key three is you've got to decide to trust God's character. You've got to decide to trust God's character because change takes time and change can be very difficult and you can't always see where you're headed and sometimes that That light at the end of the tunnel is tempting to say that's a train coming, not a sunlight on the other side. And so you have to, in those times when you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't understand it, you have to choose, you have to decide, I know who God is. Can I tell you that Kim and I have been that place in the last year, 14 months, many, many times, 13 months now? God, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't particularly like it, but I know who you are. I know how you work. And I may have to look back on this one day to understand. I may not even understand this side of eternity, but I trust who you are. I trust your character. I trust your word. And I know you're the kind of God who always keeps his word. The second thing I know about God's character, not just he's a promise keeper, but here's what I know about him. He filters everything that happens in a believer's life, and I call it just a God-Father-filtered kind of way. Do you know that verse? 1 Corinthians 
chapter 10, verse 13. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Let's look at that together, okay? It's on the screens. Here we go. Read it with me. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. Can, can we take a minute and break that down? Just a minute. Let's kind of break that down. Uh, what is he saying? First of all, he says, uh, whatever you're facing, uh, others have faced it too. That says to me that, that it's a common problem, therefore there are common solutions. You know what Satan's favorite trick is when you're going through a hard time? You can't tell anybody about this because no one will understand. You know, it's one of the reasons I love bridge groups because you get in a room and you finally trust that you're going to share what's going on in your life and you find out half the people in the room are going through the same thing you're going through. You find it's more common than you realize. And if it's a common problem, it's a common solution. Other people have been through this before. Second phrase in there, he'll never let it, you be pushed beyond your limit. He knows what you're strong enough to handle. And he will hold the line on that. I had a lady come into my office a few years ago now. She come bursting into the outer office, ran right past the office manager and burst into my office crying and screaming. And, uh, and I, I got her set down and got her calmed down enough to talk and say, what on earth is going on? She said, I saw him, I saw him. She just over and over, I saw him, I saw him, I saw him. That's all she could say is, I saw him, I saw him. She was in her 30s at the time. And that day in Food Lion, she had run across the man who raped her when she was 16. He had uh, spent quite a few years in prison. She had heard through the grapevine that he was out had been out for some time, but she'd never run across him before that day. And she saw him that day and ran to my office saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. I saw him, I saw him, I saw him. After he finally calmed down, I took Debbie to this verse and walked it through, walked it through with her. And here's what I asked her. Debbie, why do you think he's been back in the area for, what, three years now? But this is the first time you've seen him. I don't know. I don't know. Why now? I said, well, tell me what's been going on in your life over the last three years. Well, I've, I've come to this church in the last three years. I've given my life to Jesus in the last three years. I've, I've been water baptized in the last three years. I, I've prayed to be filled with the Spirit in the last th- three years. God's been doing this amazing stuff in my life in the last three years, and I just let her talk for a while, and then I finally said, do you think maybe God said, okay, it's time to deal with this one? because you're strong enough now, but he held him at bay until you were. And so now you're about to go to the next level. Whatever you're facing, others have faced it too. Don't let Satan tell you you're the only one and isolate you. He'll never let it be past your limit. And ultimately it says he will help you come through it. Not only are you not alone in the sense of other people have been through this, but you're not alone because the God of the universe is close. He's there. The Holy Spirit walks in you to walk through this with you. You don't have to do this alone. The third thing about his character then is that God works everything into this pattern for good. We've talked about this one before, Romans 8, 28. And nine, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose that we become like his 
son. Maybe hard to believe when you're facing a painful situation. But when you trust his character, you focus on him, not your circumstance. You trust his character. You, and, and you ask what, not why. You find yourself coming through on the other side. But there's a fourth key. This is really the key of keys. It's the most important of all the keys. So I want to make sure we get this one. To fully understand, so if you went to brunch, come on back, okay? I won't keep you much longer. Just come on back. In order to fully understand Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, you have to look at the context of the passage. You ever heard that before? Don't read one verse and, and just kind of pick out something. You've got to read the whole setting. Well, you've got to back up at least to verse 18, and here's how it goes. Let's read Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, okay? One, two, three, go. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I love that word, debauchery. You don't have to know what it says to know what it says. It sounds like what it says, okay? Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Do, do, do you pick up on what he's saying there? He's not saying that I, I'm telling you to choose to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not telling you to choose to make melody in your heart. I'm not telling you to choose to be thankful for everything. I'm telling you to choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the byproduct of being filled with the Spirit is you will sing songs, and you will have joy, and you will be thankful because you know that even though you don't like the circumstance, the Holy Spirit of God is taking you through something to make you better, to take you to a higher place of blessing in Him, and you can't wait to see what's on the other side. I don't like what I'm going through, but I know when I get past it, I'm going to say, wow, look what God did with my one and only life. And that doesn't come because you strain and gut it out. It comes because you're so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that he produces that in you. But you've got to choose you got to choose. That word wine, don't be drunk with wine, in the Greek is actually the word vinos that carries with it not just the idea of grapes that have been fermented, but it carries with it any intoxicating spirit. In fact, Galatians 5 lists some of those intoxicating spirits. It talks about idolatry and hatred and jealousy and wrath and selfishness and, and envy and all that, that kind of bitterness, that kind of stuff. The word filled in that verse is the Greek word pleuroo that doesn't speak to how much you have. It, it speaks to, to being in charge of. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage in the book of Acts, chapter 4, that says they were filled with rage. That's the Greek word pleuroo. It, it doesn't say how much rage they had. It says that rage was controlling them. Does that make sense? And so what he's talking about here is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have. You get the Holy Spirit when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. The, the Bible says, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. So the Holy Spirit comes in when you get saved, but now you're saying, I don't just want you to be in me. I want you to have me. I want you to control me. I want you to empower me. I don't want you to be present. I want you to be president. A few minutes ago, we baptized, what, 12, 14, 13 people? We got 12, 13 more in the second service. And what did we do? We got them in that pool, and Pastor Andy or one of the other pastors 
talk to him. I love the one when Chris baptized his daughter. It's so cool to watch father and daughter together. But, uh, um, uh, you know, we, we took him under the water and brought him back up again. We call that what? We call that being baptized in water. The Greek word is baptizo that means literally to make fully wet. That's why we, they came out looking like drowned rats. I mean, just kind of... <laughs> Well, in this particular passage, it's talking about being filled with the Spirit, but you read through the book of Acts, it talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. He's talking about being fully immersed in Him and Him having control and empowering characteristics in you. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit fills you up, the result of that is what? Singing songs and choruses and hymns and making melody in your heart and giving thanks for everything in the name of Jesus Christ because you know he's at work in your life to produce the blessing you long for. So the fourth key that really is the key of keys is pray. Pray to be filled, baptized immersed, empowered by whatever word you want to use, the Holy Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, uh, faced all kinds of hardships. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten to the point of death. He was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned for his faith over and over and over again. He faced hardship after hardship. He was rejected by the people that he loved the most. And he's the one who said, give thanks for everything. Not because it's emotions that you can work up, but because it is a byproduct, a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So let me give you a Pastor Jim paraphrase of Ephesians 5, and we'll pray. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by the spirits of this world. Instead, be empowered by and under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. When you do, you will find yourself Speaking, singing, and giving thanks even when times are hard. You ready to pray that prayer? Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and how you work. Oh, yeah, our... Our, our natural man would like to say, well, can we just coast for a while? This hard stuff is hard. But we want the blessings. We want the maturity. We want the hope. So we submit to your school. And we commit to learn from it. In fact, we give thanks for it. Right now, Lord, what we're asking is that you will fill us up with your Holy Spirit and make that possible. Because in our flesh, it's not always possible. 
it's certainly not easy. So keep your heads bowed for just a minute. The altars are going to be open. There are people that would love to pray with you this morning. If you want to take this to the next level, but at the very least, the quietness of this moment, I want you to pray a simple prayer. See, this isn't an emotion you work up. This is a decision that you make. Father, I don't want to be controlled by the spirits of this world. I don't want to be defined by hatred and anger and bitterness and jealousy, envy. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want hope. I want love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and self-control. I want those things. So right here, right now, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I believe by faith that if I ask for it, you will not reject me. The Bible says all you got to do is ask. We will receive. So I'm asking right now, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up. In Jesus' name, heads bowed for just another second. Pastor, I've prayed that prayer before, but it's still hard to give thanks. Well, the Greek in this passage is actually present progressive tense, which means it's an ongoing journey, minute by minute, decision by decision. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Okay, here comes another one. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Here comes another tough decision. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Here comes another circumstance. Fill me with your spirit. Over and over and over again, we commit to being filled with your spirit. So no matter where you are in your journey with God before you leave this room right now, pray that prayer. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me. Baptize me. Fill me up. And I will give thanks always for everything. In the name of Jesus Christ, whether I feel it or not, because the Holy Spirit will empower me to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I realize in a room like this, on a day like this, there may be some of you here, you've never heard a sermon like this, you've never seen people sing like this, you've never heard the kind of stuff we've been talking about, or maybe you've heard it and not sure you believe it. Maybe... You said, I'm not sure this whole stuff about Jesus and Christianity is true. Can I beg you to give him a fair shot, give him an honest shot? If you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ, don't leave this room until you talk to one of us. Nobody's going to pressure you, but we want to give you the opportunity to accept Christ and begin a journey. You don't have to understand it all. Just begin a journey that leads to hope. Don't leave this room until you do, okay? Father, bless us as we go. Give us safe travels and family members that are traveling, put your hedge of protection around us in Camp Guardian Angels around us, Lord. Let this be a genuine week of thanksgiving and then gather us together again next Sunday at the appointed time. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. See you next Sunday.